Hi, I'm Glenn Rifkin, the managing editor of Corn Ferry's Briefings Magazine. Do you think the U.S. has been losing its competitive edge and ever wondered why? We're here to talk to the world's leading expert on competitiveness, Michael Porter, a professor at Harvard Business School who wrote the definitive best-selling book on the subject. Professor Porter's influence is such that he has a whole building at the school dedicated to his work. Welcome, Professor Porter. Yeah, so, you know, you've been writing about competitive strategy and competitive mm-hmm. advantage for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just occurs to me as somebody who's followed your career from a mm-hmm. distance that I just wondered how much has changed over these 30-plus mm-hmm. years as, yep. you've, as you've monitored all of this. Is mm-hmm. it just more of the same, or are you seeing dramatic differences today yeah. than you did when you started? Well, I think the... Uh you know, in general, what I would say is that that the the kind of work that I do is you know kind of aggressively aims to be independent of the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and it tries to get at the underlying uh, you know principles, if you will, or underlying structures that ultimately result in 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 outcomes, uh, competitive outcomes, and and company outcomes, and um, and of course the technology is always changing. Right. And the customer needs are always changing, and the geography is always changing. And, and uh, but what we've come to believe, and I and uh, and of course I work very heavily in the outside world with with the private sector and the public sector, is that that actually the core strategy concepts are very much the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still the five forces. Okay. Uh, that that's still a very powerful way to think about any industry. Uh, uh, there's been a on healthy debate about is there a sixth force and you know m- many nominees for the sixth force. Some people think government should be a force, uh, but I think after after a lot of uh, dialogue and discussion about that, I think you know what we're finding is that this way of looking at industry still is very very powerful. And even though the industries are changing all the time, right. this is kind of the deep framework that helps you reveal what's actually going on. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, in terms of strategy, the kind of key principles of strategy, the, 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 the fundamental focus on kind of a unique positioning, the, the, the fact that strategy is about choice and deciding what you're going to do, but also what you're not going to do. You know, many of those key principles, if you saw my uh, kind of core strategy talk now that I give a lot uh, out in the world. You, mm-hmm. You'd find that the uh, the the messages are largely the same. Now I did I did make a great advance in my strategy work. The initial work uh, was really focused on a very kind of stripped down, simple way of looking at positioning. I had a very rich view of industry, but but a kind of a very stripped down view of positioning, which was around the generic strategies, okay. you know, low cost differentiation and focus. Uh, what over time uh, we 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 were able to do is through I- introducing the concept of, of the value chain and making the distinction between operational effectiveness and strategic positioning, we we're able to kind of open that thinking up at a whole, whole different level. And the article, "What is Strategy," was really the pivot point in in that work. Right. So uh, I think I think we've continued to deepen our understanding of positioning. Uh, the, the, again, the core underlying ideas are the same, the, but, but the richness uh, uh, with which we can kind of deploy those ideas has improved. The, the one area over the years where I have done um, significant new work, which I think has been important and really accretive to the core ideas that came before, was in the area of information technology. Um, okay. 
information technology has had a really pervasive impact sure. on what companies do. Absolutely. And um, uh, I, and I have now, uh, and I wrote uh, an article, I, the way I look at information technology is there's really been three waves. Mm-hmm. The first wave uh, was uh, about automating the value chain, you know, automating design, automating order processing, automating... Um, and I, I wrote a, a paper on that in the HBR with Vic Millar, who was at Anderson uh, Consulting in those days and was the leader of, of what became Anderson Consulting. Um, and then the next generation was the Internet. And, of course, that created a massive, uh, you know, massive amount of energy and, and a very serious debate about did that change everything? Were the rules of competition different? And, um, and I, I wrote an article there uh, which basically uh, said that, no, the rules of competition are pretty much the same, um, and uh, the Internet is, is a tool. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a different world. And, uh, uh, and uh, most recently, about four or five years ago, largely because I was a board member of a company called PTC, uh, uh, used to be named Parametric Technology, but simplified it to oh, PTC. It's a it's a major you know it's world world leading software company in computer design mm-hmm. and product lifecycle management here based in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I was a board member of PTC. And and uh, as as I as I was serving on the board and being very involved in in their strategy, uh, I began to see that there was now a third wave building for okay. IT, and that is really the IT being embedded in the products. Uh, previously, the IT was in the value chain. Right. Uh, now it became embedded in the products, and this is the phenomenon that many people call the Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think what we came to believe is actually the Internet isn't the big news. Uh, that's been around. We know what that does. That's, that's just connectivity. The fundamental change here is is what things can do. Um, and because of the fundamental change in what things can do and what they look like, uh, that turned out to not only affect you know products and product features and functionality and positioning and strategy choices, but it also turned out to have a big impact on how firms operate internally. Mm-hmm. Because now what we're seeing is really the mer- most ma- manufacturing companies are now becoming sort of a hybrid of a software company and a manufacturing company, okay. where manufacturing is more mechanical. Uh, and uh, and I've now, as you, you probably know, we've written two papers so far in the HBR on that phenomena mm-hmm. uh, in collaboration with Jim Heppelman, who's the CEO out at PTC. And, uh, you know, as you do stories, uh, this would be a great one to do, is yeah, to go, yeah. go meet Jim yeah. and go see this, because yeah. uh, this is bigger than the previous two generations of sure. IT. It has more impact, more change. It feels like it would have a societal impact, and it's going to have a very big societal impact yeah. as well, yeah. which is which is very positive. Yeah. Uh, the The previous generations were really great at spurring productivity growth, you know, in the firm and in the economy, uh, and this is going to actually allow us to deal with uh, you know many societal issues as well, yeah, uh, and do it better, you mm-hmm. know, health or water or resource use or. Or whatever it is. So, um, and and what we found is that the changing nature of products is also changing industry boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what used to be an industry has now really been sort of subsumed into a broader system, 
in which this particular product is just one component of the system that delivers value. What so would be an example? A good example would be kind of the you know smart farm, where it used to be used to be in the tractor industry, and uh, but now deer is doesn't see itself in the tractor industry again. They they have to they have to integrate the connect the the tractor and the combine and the uh, you know the the trucks that move goods around and the irrigation system and the seed seeding and the seed uh, selection and uh, uh, and and all those things now have to kind of work together and they're all connected but that's because the individual products uh, are uh, smart and uh, and connected yeah so um, so we're we're seeing here something that you know one of the key ideas in strategy is that that you know, we need to understand kind of what businesses are we actually in. Right, right. Uh, and uh, many companies, I continue to find you know shocking is many companies don't really understand what their businesses are in. They they kind of define their business in a uh, a way that and the general mistake is they define them too broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they're, they're actually really in some different businesses, be, and if they don't think of them as different businesses, they won't be very successful. If they try to view them as a sort of a blob, they, uh, but this idea of shifting industry definition is really quite profoundly important for strategy. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so, um, so I would say those are some of the new and different things. I think the other thing that I've been working on more recently, and it was really manifested in the. Uh, in articles that I wrote with Mark Kramer is really how we need to rethink business strategy and business opportunity to reflect the fact that many things that traditionally have been seen as social problems or social issues are actually enormous business opportunities. And this is the concept of shared value that we wrote about starting in 2011. And um, we're seeing some of the most important, you know, kind of strategic innovation and the companies that are achieving, you know, the fastest growth and, and, and uh, gains in market position are companies that actually are innovators in embracing these new concepts. So let's take the food industry. Sure. Uh, you know, the food industry um, is really beset by a whole set of challenges, probably the most profound of which is, is health and nutrition. Mm-hmm. For many years, the food industry thought their their job was just to provide low cost food, you know, to feed people, you know, yeah. and give them a lot of choice and convenience. And uh, but now, I think we understand that the the probably the biggest impact that food has is is on health. And uh, um, and you know, companies like you know Frito Lay, uh, uh, you know, find themselves in an awkward position. You yeah. know, they're they're selling you know sugared drinks right. and they're selling cheat uh, you know uh, uh, Fritos uh, and those aren't that healthy and uh, and they can do lots of, they can do lots of CSR programs to try to you know change the be image. good right. but but ultimately their product itself is uh, is is awkward for uh, actually health. Uh, and some companies have been sort of fighting a rearguard action in the food industry, uh, trying to do good things to offset, if you will, right. this this awkward fact. Yeah. Uh, but companies, uh, notably Nestle, uh, really uh, have transformed themselves into a nutrition company. Yeah. And uh, uh, and their ability to see that opportunity and have the confidence to embrace it was. 
reflected their deep belief uh, in the notion of shared value. And mm -hmm. so now you, you're seeing them uh, not only redesigning their traditional products, but also they've got a major new business line, which is in really the food as, uh, food as medicine area. And, uh, uh, and uh, this, I think, is going to be a big growth vector for sure. Nestle. And they also believe that skin care... Uh, skin is the largest organ we have, is also a major opportunity for them to not just be a beauty cosmetics player, but also to view it as a opportunity to really engage in health. And that kind of thinking that, that you know, your best business opportunities are doing things that we've traditionally seen as philanthropy or CSR, I think is another big step in strategy. So... So I would I would really really say that uh, you know again at the at the core principles level I think we're we're we see very a very you know kind of stable consistent view of what actually matters, but as we think about how to deploy those basic concepts and basic uh, principles, we see uh, you know evolving opportunity uh, because of technology because of uh, this the crucial, you know, importance of social problems in this era of yeah. history. So, anyway. I, I'm curious to know if companies recognizing these issues are then capable of actually implementing. Mm -hmm. Do they have the people? Yeah. Do they have the smarts? Do they have the wherewithal yeah. to do this? Well, it, that's a, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, uh, when we wrote this article, uh, Mark Kramer and I, we of course found many examples, and we talked about some of those examples. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, as a couple of years have gone by, and, and, and we have more examples, and there's been more take up of this concept in the business community, um, we actually uh, collaborated with Fortune magazine to actually this year publish a list of companies changing the world. And that came out last August, and it's fundamentally based on shared value. So this was 50 companies that uh, were really personifications of, of this idea. So we're getting more and more examples. Some companies are getting it done. But one of the things that we have found, um, and uh, just, a, a, just a sort of segue here, is that Mark and I some years ago founded a NGO called FSG, FSG standard originally was Foundation Strategy Group because the first work we did was on strategy for foundations. But FSG now has become a broader organization that focuses on, you know, how to create value and social impact. And mm -hmm. and, and and at FSG there's something called the Shared Value Initiative, where about 30 or 35 leading companies in the world and the World Bank and other institutions have come together to create really a think tank, and it's on how to do this. And okay. and that reflects the challenges you mentioned, uh, that it's complicated. You need some different kinds of talent here. You need you need to learn how to think more collaboratively across, you know, stakeholders. Right. Uh, work with NGOs, work with government. Uh, uh, this this requires, you know, time horizon. You know, you can't some some of these things take take time to do, just like the great business innovations take time. Uh, these these innovations take time. So where do you find the talent who can yeah, I think I think the the talent is uh, you know I think it traditionally what companies have done is they've combined their you know kind of traditional talent and they've brought in people from the outside that really come from the the social world or the government world 
Um, and that sometimes has been a complicated, you know, you know, kind of onboarding process to get right. them effective and get them respected. I think now what's happening, though, is the students coming out of business school now, including here at HBS, increasingly they are seeing the world this way. They, uh, they are thinking about social entrepreneurship, not just conventional entrepreneurship. They're thinking about, you know, th th this generation of our students here want to, you know, have impact. They they yeah. want they want to do something significant. They're not just satisfied with you know making a lot of money or, yeah. uh, you know, working in a branded you know company like McKinsey or Goldman Sachs. So, so I think we have now, and increasingly, our curriculum uh, is opening up to this broader view of what leaders do and and how leaders compete. So. Uh, I think increasingly we're going to find more and more business professionals. This is going to be seen as part of your training, yeah. uh, part of what you need to know, and uh, we got we got a ways to go because uh, this has not been what business schools traditionally taught. They they taught more the kind of economic view. They focused on conventional markets and conventional needs, uh, management and, and conventional management issues rather than you know uh, you know how do you tackle um, you know, uh, poor health in low-income populations, right. which which is something that is can, is very doable, but it, it requires knowledge and kind of perspective that that few have had. I think that's changing very rapidly. Thanks, Professor Porter. I hope you've enjoyed the first part of our interview with Michael Porter. In part two, we'll get the professor's definition of competition and his take on the state of American competitiveness in a global marketplace.